Beaver Nation, it's time to get inside the huddle with the Damn Podcast. The Damn Podcast is your weekly ticket to Oregon State football and recruiting news. Here's your host of the Damn Podcast, BeaverBlitz.com publisher, Angie Machado. Welcome in to another episode of the Damn Podcast. I'm your host, Angie Machado, and with me, as always, is Beaver Blitz beat writer Carter Baines, coming off uh, the day after that brutal loss up in the Palouse. Carter, how are you? Better now that I've had a chance to do some venting. Uh, we we released He Said, She Said two days early this week, and I think it was needed because uh, you and I both had a lot to say, and I, I think we saved a, a decent amount of it for the podcast today, but... Uh, I, I think we both got our two cents in in our uh, our weekly column yesterday on Saturday. Yeah, it was actually kind of funny. I mean, that early game and I found myself after the game, I just pulled it up and I just started typing. And I think you probably did the same thing because Carter then texts me and says, what do you think about running? He said, she said tonight, because I think we're both there. And it was perfect. I, I think it was great timing. But yes, there's plenty to talk about. How do you feel after the next morning or the next day after um, the team you cover a team, you know, that we're fans of too. I mean, let's just be real after they have that kind of performance. How do you feel? Do you wake up feeling robbed? Do you feel upset or are you just like normal business as usual? Yeah, well, we, we kind of have to put on our unbiased journalist hat when we're in the press box, but you know, it, when it comes down to it, we're, we're both Oregon state alums and um, you know, we, we care about this program and this team. And so to lose in that fashion in a game that you should win, you know, by at least a score, um, especially after seeing the way the first half unfolded, it, it hurts, you know, it stings. Um, and the momentum that this team had going into the game, I think had everybody confident that the team was going to go up to the Palouse and take care of business. And then to have it just stripped from you in, in that fashion, when I think Oregon state shot itself in the foot way too many times and there were, you know, coaching errors and, and you name it. I, I think it was a, a game that Oregon state could have, should have won. Um, and the fact that they didn't, uh, that, that definitely stings, but a, a day removed from it, I, I think it, it stings a little less, but going into a bye week, could you imagine how much better we would feel if, if you were sitting at five and one going into this two week break before the next game, as opposed to, to four and two. Yeah. I, I think you bring up a super point and, you know, I have covered this team for 15 years now, so it really is, it's a job. I mean, this is work you know, for, for both of us, we put in a lot of time and, um, but to see, I, I think that, I think what bugs me about this the most, more than anything is the fact that it's just, it, it seems like the typical Oregon state MO where they take two steps forward and then three steps back. And that's in for everything. That's not just football on the team and the, and the players and the coaches that is recruiting. That is fan engagement that is national exposure and even local exposure. Um, like I said, the coaches are hitting the road, to go recruit this week. How big would that have been for the, them to be five and one, um, controlling their own destiny out on the recruiting trail? They would have gotten, a, and then also, like I said, you and I know when the Beavers are winning that our requests to go on different radio shows, both local and nationally goes crazy. I just, I think I see it just as a huge opportunity lost. And, um, you know, we point it to on he said, she said too, it was, it wasn't so much that they lost. It was kind of the the way they lost. Okay. So it really was a tale of two halves. Um, You know, the beeves go in at the break 
10-3. And I, I don't think any, any of us saw that maybe defensive battle shaping up. Um, and then, I mean, goodness, that, that interception by Omar Spates to kind of close it out, just inches out of bounds, that he stepped out of bounds from being a, a pick six. Talk about your thoughts at halftime about what this what was happening and what the Beavs needed to do to be successful. So I, I tweeted out kind of a string of stats at the break. And uh, unfortunately, the tweet didn't age well because we know how the, the defense performed in the second half. But these are just some of the, the numbers that stood out to me uh, through the first 30 minutes. Oregon State gave up three points, 19 rushing yards. Uh, they, they held Washington State to a 25% third down conversion rate. Uh, Washington State was one of three in the red zone. Spates, like you said, had that interception to end the half, which unfortunately turned out to be the difference in the game. You know, him, him stepping out there with his, really his toenail stepping out. Um, if, if that goes to the house, Oregon State, of course, is in a much better position. Uh, and the defense was called for no penalties in the first half too, which of course uh, is a point of improvement considering what happened down at the Coliseum and then uh, some penalties last week as well. So the first half performance by the defense was, I mean, that was easily the best, the best 30 minutes of football we had seen from them outside of, I guess, the shutout um, against Idaho. Cause obviously you, you can't play much better than that, but uh, to flip the script, like, like Washington state's offense did in the second half, it, you have to give Washington state credit, you know, for, for finding what worked. Um, but you, you really have to be concerned about Oregon state's defense and, and the inability to adjust. You know, if, if Washington State's going to put five wide and if that's what's working for them, you have to make adjustments. And quite frankly, the Beavers just did not. Yeah, it, that was super frustrating um, because looking at this game in its entirety, and, and I'm kind of going back because I think the second half is kind of where we can talk about the entire game is its entirety because that's where the wheels fell off. But you're right. Oregon State did not make any adjustments or, or it didn't appear. I mean, we talked off off air before we came on on air. Fall camp, we saw a lot of um, five DB sets from the defense. Did we even see that at all against the Cougars? I would need to go back and watch some of the, the film, but off the top of my head, I can't remember a time that Oregon State went with a, a five DB look. And as I was saying to you before we started recording, um, uh, Elijah Jones went on Twitter after the game and, and, you know, made a comment about his playing time. And it, I thought about it and I said, has, has Elijah Jones even seen the field Same this here. year? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and this is a guy who in fall camp was running with the, with the ones and twos. He made a couple of interceptions. Uh, he looked really impressive and, you know, it's a grad transfer from Kansas who's coming in expecting to start or at least compete for some pretty considerable playing time. He's got power five playing experience. He's been up against some of those high powered big 12 offenses. And so to not even see him in a situation where it makes a ton of sense to bring him in as an extra DB really made me scratch my head. And I think he's, he's scratching his own head because he's going onto Twitter and, and, you know, making these comments about his playing time. Uh, it, it was, it was a really questionable decision by, by Tim Tibisar and Blue Adams not to go to a more of a, you know, a, a pass oriented defense. Yeah, I, it seemed like the bees were playing zone most of the day, um, and it wasn't working. I mean, they this soft cover um, of the the wide receivers, and they were making play. I mean, credit to them, they're making plays. But how frustrating! Now, you know, okay, we can point to a couple really good games. You know, the USC game was a great win. Washington was a, a great performance. But 
did you do you feel that this defense has truly turned the corner or do you do you feel that um there's still some major major red flags there personnel wise i think it has turned the corner i, I think oregon state's defense has a ton of talent and, and i think now we're seeing it at all three position groups you know d-line linebacker and secondary um there's talent there there that's not even a question you know obviously they've got you know, probably the best inside linebacker duo in the conference. Avery Roberts might very well end the year at the top of the tackle leaderboard once again. Uh, in the secondary, Rajon Wright, of course, having a great year. Jaden Grant, we know how good he is. And then even on the D-line, just the improvement that we've seen from individuals on that position group uh, ha has been impressive and I think maybe caught some of us by surprise. Where, where the issues come from, it's, it's very clear now this is 100% schematic. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's, this does come back to the coaching staff. It comes back to Tim Tibisar um, and, and each of the position group coaches as well. I, I think Trent Bray is the only one who has consistently done a very good job with his, uh, with his management of this position group. And there's at year four now of, of the other the other coaches on that staff, you know, it, we're seeing the same things come, come and pop up. It's, it's a schematics thing. And when you can't make adjustments in game and it costs you a, a lot of these close losses, at, at what point, at what point do you shake things up? Yeah. Yeah. I, do you think coach Smith is a, is a person to do that? Well, he hasn't proved it yet, but I think, it's it's tough because with any rebuild obviously obviously you have to give your coaches time and you have to build something but now in year four i think we are at a make or break point at, at a lot of position groups and the fact that the d-line has showed improvement that's great you know mm -hmm. and, and, and give coach leggy you know a ton of credit for for returning that group to um, a, a pac-12 caliber group and and same with blue adams in the secondary you know there has been improvement there mm -hmm. I think it really just stems from the defensive coordinator spot because ultimately the scheme is a reflection of his coaching ability. And um, like I said, the same, the same issues keep popping up. And so it's uh, if, if there's one coach that, that, you know, deserves to be, to be looked at a little bit by Smith in season at the end of the year, it's, it's coach Tibisar and that's no knock against him. You know, he's, he's, he's a great guy. He's a good coach by all intents and purposes, but I just don't think, um, He's, he's a good enough preparer or in-game, you know, he makes enough in-game adjustments to, to warrant um, giving him the benefit of the doubt past year four. Yeah, and, and it is. It's the same issues we see year in year. Um, I had a concern when they hired, and I'm not, I'm not either, either side here. I mean, Coach Smith knows what's best for this team, but, um, I mean, this is a guy who hasn't been a defensive coordinator at any spot for more than a year or two. Um, I had the same, I feel like I have a broken record, although Mark Banker's defenses, their biggest issue was stopping a mobile quarterback because that was like really their only big glaring issue. Um, but my, my, my feelings on this are as a coach or a teacher, it's your job to put a evaluate your personnel and know what you have to work with and then get them in the right position to, to perform. If they aren't doing that the way they're supposed to, then that, should reflect more on the coaches in that, okay, either they're not understanding how I'm teaching it, or I need to change kind of what we're doing. One of the, one of the topics in the lodge from last night, and I wanted to get your point on this too, is, you know, Oregon state under Gary Anderson moved to a three, four defense. And coach Smith has kept that three, four defense. We still aren't seeing a ton of pressure on quarterbacks, 
what are your thoughts? Do, should Oregon State stay in a, in a 3-4 defensive scheme? Should they maybe move back to a, a 4-3 more traditional set? What are your thoughts there? Talk about a, de a divisive topic. You know, I, I think this has been a, a contentious point uh, at Beaver Blitz for a while now. Just it's it's the question of it's almost did the chicken, you know, it's almost a chicken and egg situation where it's like you have to recruit the right players for your scheme, but you also have to scheme for the players you have. Yeah. And the question is, does Oregon State have the right players to run a 3-4 defense? Um, having a guy like Thomas Seo in, in the middle at, at no stackle, that's the kind of player that you need uh, on, on a D line that runs a three, four. Thomas Seo was unavailable for this yeah. game with, with an ankle injury. And uh, I, I think you saw a lot of, a lot of the weaknesses of a scheme without a player like that, because Oregon state, as you mentioned, didn't get very much pressure on the pocket. And I also have to wonder too, if, if the lack of pressure was almost a schematic thing too, like a, a purposeful game plan, you know, we saw what happened when we pressured Jaden Delora last year, he beat us with his legs. Let's contain a little bit more. Um, there could have been an element of that. Yeah. But the, yeah. Fact, the fact that Oregon state continued to blitz throughout the game and still didn't get pressure leads me to believe that that was more just a, a product of the scheme, not working. My, my biggest frustration with watching the defense was the fact that we played so soft off their DBs and gave them so much room. It was kind of this prevent defense the entire game. So um, I, I had the stats pulled up. The game finished basically almost like a flip-flop of each other for the two teams. Washington State had 491 total yards. 399 of them were through the air to Oregon State's 158 passing yards. Oregon State had 309 rushing yards to the Cougars' 92. Um, okay. Basically, if I look at a stat line and I see a team that was able to rush for 309 yards, I would say pretty sure they won. Um, goodness. I, I mean, I'm looking down here. Oregon State actually only finished with two penalties on the day. So um, that was that was positive. What What is your take? Let's move to the offensive side of the ball. Because... Chance Nolan of the past two weeks has not looked like the Chance Nolan that went out gunslinging at USC. Is, is this a product of, is this the Chance Nolan that you and I saw during fall camp? Is this Chance Nolan, is he maybe not 100%? I mean, what, what is your thought on this? What is your takeaway on this? Um, it's, it's hard to kind of dissect where Chance Nolan's at right now because I, I went on a, the Pac-12 This Week podcast, shout out to Andrew, Hob Andrew Hobner from KEZI and, and Eugene, and we talked about this this week, was is Chance Nolan, you know, potentially kind of regressing to the mean a little bit, or is this a, a cold streak? Like, what, what should we expect from him moving forward? And I said, one thing that we need to keep an eye on is the Chance Nolan that we saw against Washington is exactly the Chance Nolan that we saw across his three starts last season. And that's like, I get that he didn't have an off season to prepare. And I get that he was kind of thrown into the mix last year, but those games count. And when you start to see some of the tendencies that he showed last year show up again this year, you do have to wonder if that is just kind of part of who he is. At the end of the day, I do think that he's more like the quarterback we saw in the non-conference and at USC than the one that we're seeing now, just because I have seen flashes of what he can do in practice uh, and he went and he, he performed at a high level against a good team at USC. Um, but he's now had two very poor performances in a row 
And so you do have to question if maybe he's falling into some of those bad habits that he had last year. Um, and having two weeks to prepare for this next game, I think bodes well for him. And that, you know, gives a little, gives him a little bit of time to work out the kinks and, and get back to what was working for him. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's tough to have to linger on two performances like that over a two week stretch. If, if anybody though, he's the guy I want to, because he seems to have a real, um, he, he's able to flush things pretty quickly, I, I think. So um, I don't, I don't see Chance Nolan. He seems so calm and cool. I don't see him dwelling too much on, on the negative. Um, and, and I, and to be completely fair to Chance Nolan, the receivers have a lot of, not done him a lot of favors either. So um, tight ends have struggled to, to haul in the ball. I mean, I, I look back at that game and I mean, Zariah Beeson had, there was, it was that ball that was sort of a little high and he, he batted it and it was an interception. But I, I believe the Beavs were like red zone at that point. That was um, on the five yard line. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I mean, that was horrible. Um, but like I said, it wasn't a perfectly placed ball, but um, so that was bad. Um, you had a couple drops with, with Tegan, um, Jake, or uh, not Jake. Um, Luke Musgrave. Luke, Luke Musgrave. So um, I mean, it's, and then no Tyjon Lindsay, which that was kind of the big topic. I guess he's, he was sick last week. So he missed some practice. And, um, but he was there, he was, he was on the sideline, but, um, how much though? So the, the biggest ire, I guess I've heard from Beaver nation and in the lodge and probably just in my own household was some of the play calling. So we can start in the first half with the fake punt. I know Jonathan Smith likes to gamble, but was that the time? and the situation to do that. I'll say this. It was not the time or situation to run a fake punt. It was also not even remotely a, a good play design. No. no. <laughs> I mean, you've got, you've got Luke Losher, who has, as far as I'm aware, n- never thrown a, a pass in his life, throwing to a backup defensive back in Skylar Thomas, who's, who's a true, a true freshman. freshman. <laughs> <laughs> who's in tight coverage streaking down the sideline on a fade route. And he, he, I mean, you just have to look at that play design and wonder what did you think was going to happen? Yeah. I mean, there's nothing about that. And in that field position on a fourth and eight that made me think, Oh yeah, this was a good idea. And, and the Beavers <laughs> had the lead. I mean, we weren't talking the final few minutes of the game and with the Beavers down where you're no. And, and this is coming off the first half, you know, this is the first possession of the second half. Yeah. Um, you're, you're coming off a 30 minute stretch of really good defensive play. And so you have this opportunity to pin Washington state deep in their own territory. Cause if there's one thing Luke Losher does really well, it's, it's pin opponents inside their 20 inside their 10. Uh, and if your defense comes out and plays like they did in the first half, you're probably getting the ball back with pretty good field position when, when Washington state has to punt. So none of it made sense to me. That was I, I know Jonathan Smith has had some pretty questionable fourth down play calling. Um, go back to the, the game in 2019 in Pullman. But this one easily was, I, I, there's no room for debate. This was just a terrible decision. Even, yeah. even, if they, even if Oregon State had converted it, I'd still be yeah. sitting here and saying that should never have been called. Yeah, I, I didn't get it either. I thought it was a horrible decision because everything I've been taught from coaches that I've, I've talked to over the years is in a close game like that, you play the field position game. 
And so pin them back. Um, yeah, it, yeah, even, even if they would have made that, it was, in my opinion, it was not the right in, in no shape or form. Um, okay, let's talk a little bit more about coaching because there was a point where I took to Twitter, Oregon State's running backs, both BJ Baylor and um, Deshaun Fenwick were on fire. I mean, they ended, they ended the game. B.J. Baylor had 18 carries, 145 yards, averaging 8.1 yards a carry. Deshaun Fenwick, 15 carries, 127 yards, averaging 8.5 yards a carry. Okay? That was pretty much the entire game, between five and eight yards a carry. And there were two times, but probably the most glaring was the final drive of the game. What? It's like... Let's just stop everything that's been working on those first, especially on the first and second down play. What were your thoughts? <laughs> this, this might be a rhetorical question, but what were your thoughts on that? I mean, you, you've been running the ball down their throats all day long. They have not stopped you. And then all of a sudden you decide to go on a quarterback draw and um, a pass play. My thoughts on, on that final drive are, are this great play calling to get yourself into the red zone. Mm -hmm. Okay. Chance Nolan made a couple of really clutch throws. Um, the, the, the throw that he had to champ Fleming's also mm -hmm. let's give a shout out to champ Fleming's yes, for two champ really Fleming's. good catches, yes. real, two really big catches in clutch situations on Nolan's two best throws of the day. Um, but that one on that final drive, when, uh, when Nolan had Trey low wide open in the flat mm -hmm. and he throws downfield and I'll have a chance, what are you doing? Like, who yeah. are you throwing to it? And then I see, Champ Fleming's uh, pulling in a ball for, I, I believe it was about a 20 yard game um, to pick up chunk yardage when Oregon state needed to, to move the ball the most uh, great play call there and, and great decision by chance, great execution by both chance and champ. Um, but after that, you, you get down towards the red zone and you just abandon the run. When you have timeouts in your back pocket, clock's still on your side. You've got a chance to go down and tie the game uh, or even take the lead. If you go for two. Yeah and you completely abandon what worked for you. There's nothing from a, from a time management perspective that was gonna stop you from running the ball. So if your running backs are averaging 8.3 yards per carry, there's probably a 50% chance you're gonna get at least a first down if you hand it off to them every Twice. single time. Yeah, I mean, even if they cut that in half and hit four yards of carry, mm -hmm. it doesn't even make sense. And when you need about 20 yards to tie the yeah. game, um, why, why not hand it off when you've been getting chunk yardage on pretty much every carry? Uh, it made absolutely no sense to me. And I, it's, it's oddly reminiscent of when Oregon state looked like they were handing the game away to Washington at Reeser a week ago, what was it that caused Washington to get back into the game? Oregon state abandoned the run. They, they went to chance Nolan, and they started throwing the ball and then of course, Chance had that just that horrible play in which he fumbled at, at Oregon State's own six-yard line. Washington converts, and they score two touchdowns in the span of about 10 seconds of game time. Very, very similar in, in this one. Washington State started getting back into the game when Oregon State was trying to pass the ball a little bit more. And I know that Brian Lindgren is a huge proponent of, of a, a balanced offense. Jonathan Smith goes on the record all the time saying, you know, we need run-pass balance. I get that. Like, I, I totally get it. You know, you need to, to keep defenses on their heels. But when you can run the ball for 6.9 yards every single time 
And if you hand it off to your running backs, 8.3 yards, yeah, uh, you, you can't shy away from that. And, and, and they, I think we saw two fly sweep or fly, fly motions. I, I don't know. I, and I agree. So this, it, it, this was like weirdly reminiscent to the old Danny Langsdorf days and Mike, right. And, and you're right. You, I get it. You want to be balanced and you want to try to balance that offense. But at the same time, when you're down to the last minute 20, you have two timeouts left. And like you said, you're averaging eight plus eight plus yards of carry with your two running backs. And you have the strength of your offense is your O-line. I don't know. See, this is, this is, I think this is what drives Beaver fans crazy is you have offensive and defensive coordinators that are making a lot of money. And it'd be one thing if they tried, let's say, let's say down the stretch they're you know, and they run BJ and Deshaun and Washington state just comes up, makes the play and stuffs it. Okay. You know what? They tried, but when you have, when you get out coached, by a staff that, you know, I, I think Beaver fans would never would not trade Rolovich's staff for Smith's staff in, in a heartbeat, but you have gotten completely rolled by them, out coached. What three times, three years, three years in a row now? Three years in a row. Yeah. I mean dating back to the Hawaii. Game, the game at Washington, yeah. Oregon State shot itself in the foot in that one too. Yeah. So I, I think that's I think that's maybe where, where Beaver fans are maybe they're they're a little frustrated is the fact that when, when they feel that maybe the coaches contributed large part to the loss. Yeah. And, and rightfully so. And it's in all three phases too, because Brian Lindgren is it, still, in my opinion, probably a top three offensive coordinator in this league. Uh, he's, he's going to get a, ho- a head coaching job somewhere at some point. Um, so Oregon state, you know, needs to, it, I, I think Beaver fans need to maybe take a step back sometimes and just really appreciate that they have yeah. him while they do. Uh, Cause he's not going to be around for, a ton longer if, if, yeah. if I had to guess. Um, but on the same token, I think he overthought it in this. Yeah. One. Yeah. I think he, over, I think he overthought it at the end of the third quarter against Washington, Washington. too. Look, don't get me wrong. Like offensive balance is incredibly important. And I, I said this earlier and I'll, I'll say it again, you know, you need to have a passing game to complement your rushing attack, but Oregon state ran the ball 45 times in this game. That's the least amount of carries that, or is the least amount of rushing attempts that Oregon State's had in conference play. Run the ball five more times, get back up to that 50 carry threshold that you've been at in the last two weeks, and you probably win this game. Yeah, because that's um, the thing. Then, I mean, then, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, well, that's the offensive side of things. We already mentioned that the fake punt, there's your special teams play calling. Yep. Re- returning kickoffs and, and averaging 17 yards per return, that's not a great idea either. And then on, on defense, obviously we mentioned the, the not being able to, to adjust when, when Washington state reverts to its air raid ways, mm-hmm. it's, it's all three phases. There, there were coaching mishaps in all three phases. And um, I, I think it's, it's a shame because the players executed at, at a high level. They just executed, in my opinion, the wrong scheme and the wrong play calls. Yeah, I agree. Because I, there, were a lot, there was a lot, like I said, the middle linebackers performed fantastic and, and stuck to their assignments. Um, but the game is over the rest of the pack 12. Did you watch any of the other pack 12? I know you both, we were both watching the A&M Alabama game last night, which was super fun to watch. Um, but did you watch any, let's see. So Stanford ASU was on Friday night. Did you watch any of that? Stanford looked good or not? I'm sorry. ASU looked good. 
Yeah, I didn't. I actually didn't catch any other Pac-12 games this week, which I think is the first time this year um, I, I didn't see any. But yeah, with with Oregon State playing in the early window and then that Alabama A&M game uh, going down to the wire, I, those were the two games that I was keyed in on. Oh, and Iowa Penn State, because that was an incredible game as well. I did not watch that one, but yeah. Um, so I did watch, like I said, the Stanford ASU. ASU looks fast. And I, I'm glad that we're that Oregon State gets to play them at home in mid-November because that weather should probably play a part in it. But they looked they looked good. You'd um, rather play Arizona than Arizona State, though. That's the thing. I mean, it's absolutely. it's a tough draw. It's a tough draw for Oregon State because I think ASU is probably the best team in the South. I, I agree. Um, and then I, I did watch a little bit of the UCLA Arizona game, but then again, and Arizona was actually hanging with them for a while, but I finally was like, okay, I need to go to bed because honestly, right now we're not playing either of these teams. So I don't need to scout them. The other game, uh, the other, there was only four Pac-12 games because a handful of teams were on by. Uh, but the other game that I think Oregon State fans are going to look at the score and say, huh, how should we feel about this is Utah going into the Coliseum and being USC by 16. Yeah. This USC team... I mean, man, that that win that Oregon State had in the Coliseum, as much as I hate to say it, is looking less and less impressive every yeah. week. Um, it's and really it, interesting to see that, that USC goes up to the Palouse and just absolutely beats Washington State into the ground. Oregon State beats USC into the ground. And then Wazoo goes and beats the Beavs. So yeah, that's the Pac-12 for you. It is the Pac-12. I mean, it aside from Colorado and Arizona, I would say any of these teams could probably beat anybody on a given night. And Utah's looking good. You know, I, I think they had some emotion going into this game um, at USC, but you're right. Week by week now, you at that USC win looks less and less impressive. Um, and Utah coming to town after the bye. I, I do like that it's after the bye, but Utah's looking a little more like Utah of old. Yeah, with Cam Rising playing at the level that he did in the Coliseum. And I, I think now that obviously it's his job with Charlie Brewer leaving the program. Um, they're going to start to pick up some momentum as, as rising gets a little bit more ex- experience and winning at the Coliseum will do a lot as far as your confidence is concerned. I, I think Oregon State saw the effects of that coming out and, and beating Washington the next week. Yeah. Uh, so watch out for, watch out for Cam rising because he's a, I mean, he's an elite talent that, that Utah was able to bring in. And I think he's got a bright future there. So it'll be an interesting matchup uh, for Oregon State with Utah coming to town after the bye. But as you mentioned, the good news is that Oregon State gets two weeks to digest this Washington State loss, prepare for Utah. Um, and I think if Oregon State was going to have a letdown, as much as it stinks to to kind of dwell on it for two weeks, uh, this is probably the best time that that letdown could have come because they have two weeks to to kind of figure out what went wrong. Exactly. Um, totally changing gears a little bit. You watching any of the... Uh... Uh, Major League Baseball. Well, I got to watch the Dodgers, of course. My uh, my team from the the National League. Uh, Mariners from the AL. Always been a Mariners fan. Definitely a Dodgers fan though, uh, as well. So I, I've been catching some of that. Of course, yesterday, as as I was texting you during the Alabama game, I said I was watching that football game instead of the the Dodgers. But I'll pick it back up now that that college football is on the the back burner. Well, Beaver fans, I I learned today that. Drew Rasmussen is pitching today, and this is Sunday, uh, for the Rays. He is their day, day three pitcher, so uh, you get a chance. Hopefully, I don't know. I watched a little bit. My my youngest son is a huge baseball fan, and so we've had to watch. He likes the Brewers, and I don't even know why he likes the Brewers. 
I grew up a Dodger fan. My husband's family is all Giants fans. And then my son is a Brewer fan. I don't know. But I did watch some Tampa Bay. And I was blown away by their left fielder. And I'm going to butcher his name, but Randy. Rosarena. Rosarena. Oh, my gosh. The guy is electric. Mm-hmm. Stole home the other night. And, yeah, he's he's got star power. So, I don't know. Baseball is baseball. Carter, this is this is have... what we talk. This is what we talk about when we're entering a bye week. We've got no but, game to preview, so I know. So we're just actually, time I now. do want to hear because Carter has some. We have some good things planned. This bye weeks uh, are a great time that we go back, especially when bye weeks happen right in the middle of the season. So we'll be having mid mid uh, season grades analysis, um, and then Carter has some special um, stories planned. Carter, you want to tell us about uh, your Coach Beam stuff? This is going to be a really fun week. So before the Hawaii game, I sat down on, on Zoom with Coach John Beam from Laney College uh, and, and talked to him for about 20 minutes and just kind of picked his brain on some of these guys that have transferred from Laney into the Oregon State program, uh, learned more about his connection with the Oregon State coaches because he goes way back with a bunch of them. Uh, and of course, if, if you watch Netflix or uh, if, you, if you watch Last Chance U on Netflix, uh, you're familiar with the Laney program as well. Uh, so it's, we've got, I believe... I, I need to retally this, but it's it's either going to be five or six stories uh, coming out in succession this week. It's it's a, a fun series that we're going to run here at, at Beaver Blitz with uh, kind of a highlight on on each of the Oregon State players that have transferred in from Laney over the last handful of years. Some of them are still on the roster, some are gone, um, and then also, like I mentioned, we'll we'll jump in a little bit to the the connection between the coaching staffs at Laney and Oregon State. So. Uh, with no game this week, we finally get a chance to to run some of this content on the damn podcast next week. You'll hear from Coach Beam himself. Uh, we'll run some of that interview, uh, and it's going to be a fun week because I, I think we're going to get a chance to highlight some players that um, either weren't here on campus for a long time or haven't gotten a, a ton of playing time, but you're also going to get to learn more about the Wright brothers. Um, you'll hear a little bit about the Jordan Whitley story, what was going on behind the scenes there, um, and then potentially one of the most roundabout uh, tr- one of the most roundabout kind of um, trails to Oregon State uh, with backup punter Josh Green. That's, I, I think, maybe the most interesting story that uh, that we'll have this week. So definitely stay tuned for all of that. Check that out every weekday and potentially into next weekend at Beaver Blitz. Uh, haven't totally scheduled it out yet, but it's going to be a fun series. It should be a lot of fun. And like I said, we'll have grades and discussion in the lodge. I- I'm going to open it up for the Lodge to discuss maybe their MVP so far through the season or the midway point grades. Um, and we'll have a different discussion question each day of the week. And we've also added, it's not going to be an every week deal, but if you're in the Lodge and you haven't checked out the scouting reports or the trench report from Peter Riley Osborne, do so because he puts little videos and he breaks down film. Um, people have said it's the best thing they've seen um, as far as a, a learning tool on Blitz. So definitely get yourself into the lodge at Beaver Blitz because a lot of discussion, yes, it's a bye week but uh, it's like Carter said, it's a chance for us to kind of catch our breath and run some things that um, we don't have time to all week long. So um, we'll also be back when, when the Oregon State has press availability. And we're not sure yet. We haven't heard if Jonathan Smith will be available tomorrow, Monday uh, during the bye week but um, actually, we hope so. Like, we, we hope we so. Really, we really hope so because this is, after a game like this against Washington State, I, I think there are some questions that, you know, need to be asked. And I think Oregon State fans want some answers about how that game unfolded. And so 
um, yeah, once once we get word on if there's media availability this week, we'll we'll definitely plan some some questions and leave some blurbs in the lodge for you and and get your you can get your answers, but um, no promises on on media availability because they yeah. they do tend to to shut things down during the bye week. Yeah, they they will hit the road and hit recruiting. Be going all over to. Uh high schools and junior colleges around the country. So thank you for joining us for another episode of the Dan podcast. Carter, have a super week. Enjoy next weekend. You get a little, a little R and R without a game to cover and uh, I'll be back. Both of us will be back next week for another episode of the Dan podcast.